Good evening. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, because there's sin in the world, there is also suffering. And we end up bearing many crosses in life. We pray that you would give us the gift of patience that comes with faith, that we can, may accept your holy will, and also let the glory of your love be shown in your, our lives. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, tonight we have another miracle text with John chapter 8. Uh, with the healing of the blind man, and then we have a question that I think we may end up discussing for a while. Uh, but let's let's get started. Uh, somebody remember where we were in chapter eight? What was, or where was Jesus and what was going on? He was in Jerusalem. For the? Uh, Tabernacles. Yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. And that was one of the, the pilgrimage feasts. And that we had uh, this argument between Jesus and the Pharisees. It was really the, the who is Jesus question uh, made into a debate. Uh, and we're going to get this again in chapter 9, but first we have uh, this healing of the blind man. Uh, so uh, the first words, as Jesus was passing by uh, later we learn this was a Sabbath, so we know that the Feast of Tabernacles was over because it did not include a Sabbath. Some of the festivals worked that way. Uh, so as Jesus was passing by, probably walking around Jerusalem uh, after the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, this is the question that may give us some things to discuss. Anything odd about that question? The answer is yes, but I want to know what is odd to you about this question? The sin involves blindness. Yeah. He said that the idea that some sin caused the blindness. Okay. Okay. And uh, 
you know, that, is that idea still around today? Yeah. You do something bad and then something bad happens to you. What's the Hindu word for that? Karma. Karma. Okay. And they say what goes around comes around. You do something bad, something bad comes back around to you. Uh, and uh, so, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Uh, among the people of that time, and especially among the Pharisees, there was that belief, if bad things happen to you, it's because you did bad things. Now, what's especially odd about this question man was born blind, but then they ask, did he, sin? did he sin that he was born blind? Uh, did he sin before he was born? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Among the Jews and among the Pharisees, there was the thought, he was born blind because of something he was going to do. Isn't that weird? That's kind of like reverse karma. Uh, verse 3, uh, Jesus tells us that there's no such thing as karma. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works, that God's works might be revealed in connection with him. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We've heard that before, haven't we? I am the light of the world. Uh... uh Back up to who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Can every kind of suffering be traced to some particular sin? Not everything. Okay. Do some sins have consequences? Yeah. If if I overindulge and drink a 12-pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, in one sitting and uh, go for a drive, I might hit, seriously hurt myself or somebody else. There did a certain sin cause suffering. Yeah, that's cause and effect. Uh, but the, is every suffering connected to any certain sin? No. Uh, is all suffering connected to sin in general? Yes. If you go back to Genesis 3, uh, sin is brought into the world and with sin, death and suffering. Uh, and then finally God says, uh, you are dust, remember that, and to dust you will return.
So generally, yes, but not specifically. Uh, uh, there are uh, problems with suffering. I think we've, we've, you've heard us pastors complain about success theology. Have you heard about that? Be a faithful person and God will make you successful. Does it always work that way? No. Uh, how does suffering fit in with that? Well, obviously, if you're suffering, you're not successful, meaning you don't. Yeah. Faith yeah, and that's that's a problem because you can be faithful, you can even suffer for being faithful. Um, there's something, and I think you may have heard me talk about this before. Uh, in 1518, you all know what happened in 1517 with Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and uh, a year later, there was, oh, the Augustinians had kind of a debating society. And they, somebody told Martin, stay away from that indulgent stuff for a while. Uh, give us something else to, to talk about. So he wrote something called the Heidelberg Disputation. Like the 95 Theses, it was Theses. Uh, sentences for debate and in that he talked about the theology of the cross uh, that uh, God can make use of suffering for his good purpose sometimes we suffer because of sin in the world generally sometimes we suffer as a consequence sometimes we suffer for the, the, the cause of the gospel like the apostles did but, despite the suffering, God is good, God gets good work done. Uh, sometimes through the suffering, God is getting good work done. And that's the theology of the cross. Uh, so think of, of what Jesus says with his answer. Neither this man's sin nor his parents but that God's works might be revealed in connection with him. What does that sentence mean there and then? He was born blind that God's works might be revealed in connection with him. It means that Jesus is going to perform the miracle to prove that he is. Okay. He was born blind so I could heal him now. Yep. I got a question or comment about the part. Okay. In the here, English Heritage Version. Yeah. In here it says, uh, what was that now? When Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his or his parents, but God works might be revealed. Yeah. Okay, 
But in, in the other versions, if I, I don't have uh, the other NIV handy to compare, yeah. but it seems like it said that his parents or, his, or he did not sin. Yeah, he said, well, he said, I think the NIV has neither this man nor his parents sinned. Yeah. Uh, and this is just a, just a slightly different way of putting it. It's not that this man sinned, or his parents, that he was born blind, but uh, that God's works might be revealed. It's talking about purpose. Uh, In this yeah. version that says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, yeah. but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think EHV may be a little more literal, a little less paraphrastic in that. Uh, but the meaning's the same. Uh, there and then, uh, this, this suffering happened that God's works might be revealed in connection with him. What does it mean for us now as we face suffering? Did anything specific happen that you have to suffer or that your loved ones have to suffer? Most likely not. Does this apply to you too? That God's works might be revealed. It's not a direct judgment yeah. of God. Yeah. It is the condition of being born sinful. Yeah. Yeah. God's not to blame. Yeah. And then look at this second part here though. That God's works might be revealed. Does that still apply? Yeah. How might God reveal his work or do his work when we have to suffer, when things aren't most pleasant? You rely more on him. I mean, you go with him. Okay. Yeah, what's, what's, think of, think of the human condition and think of our sinful flesh. The old Adam, sinful nature, whatever you want to call it. What's what's the, one of the chief sins of the flesh? Selfishness. Yeah. What's in it for me? I'm hot stuff, and everybody should do everything my way. And then you have to suffer. What does that teach you? Humility. You aren't the boss. Here's something. You think you're in control of everything. Here's something you're not in control of. Deal with it. Uh, think of Pastor Heyer's sermon about Old Testament Joseph, uh, who was, you got to read it very carefully. Some people read it as Joseph was getting a little cocky. He got the, the fancy coat and he tattled on his brothers. And then, okay, you get sold into slavery. 
what did that teach him? At the end, he says, you intended this for evil, God intended this for good. Through the hard experience, he learned patience and faith. Uh, but the, the thing about young Joseph being cocky or proud, that's something, the way the Bible tells it, that's not in there at all. I think that comes when we try to read between the lines a little bit. But uh, it could be he was just trying to be faithful and everybody took it. Oh, he's, he's the dreamer. He's the one who tattles on us. Uh, but through the suffering, God got Joseph where he wanted him, when he wanted him. God can get his stuff, his work done, uh, even in the middle of suffering. Uh, these things happen that God's works might be revealed in us. That we learn something through suffering. That we learn something through hardship. Uh, uh, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, we've heard that uh, before. I am the light of the world. Uh, that was in the previous chapter. Uh, that phrase, I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Does somebody remember the time frame with Feast of Tabernacles? Was it just before he was going to Jerusalem? To... Well, this is one of many times he's in Jerusalem. And then he zigzags back and forth. Was it before, just before the last time he was there? Well, Feast of Tabernacles was connected with Jewish New Year, which is what time of year? Fall. Fall. September, October, right about now. So uh, this is an, a whole other debate, but we'll just go with the year 30 for our purposes. There's a whole debate about was uh, Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection, was that in the year 30 or the year 33? Most people say 30. No. But there are some people, the way Passover fell and everything, it could possibly be 33. But uh, for our sake, we'll say, for our purposes, we'll say the year 30. Uh, if this is the Feast of Tabernacles, it's October of 29. So how much time does he have until April 30? October, November, December, January, February, March. Six months. So he's pacing himself. He knows he has to get his work done because Good Friday's coming. Uh, so after saying this, 
Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and spread the mud on the man's eyes. I say this is a who is Jesus moment. Does this remember, remind you of anything else in Scripture? Of something being done with mud or dust? Creation. Yeah, the creation of Adam. And every time I read that, I always think of God making Adam the way a sculptor would make a statue. And so Jesus makes mud and puts it on the man's eyes. Uh, that's showing us who Jesus is. Uh, there are many different kinds of blindness, but this tells us he was blind from birth. And sometimes blindness from birth means that the eyes don't form right. And so why did Jesus put mud on the man's eyes? Because he didn't have eyes. And who is Jesus? The same one who made Adam out of the dust. Um, that's who Jesus is. Uh, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Uh, John's little parenthetical statement, the word Siloam means sent. Uh, that may be John's way of, of kind of uh, telling us this pool was named in a prophetic way. It's named sent because Jesus is going to send a blind man to wash it. Uh, so he washed, went and washed, and came back seeing. And his neighbors and those who had seen him before this as a beggar asked, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, he is the one. Others said, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Uh, so they asked him, how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who was called Jesus made some mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Uh, where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. Uh, what's the reaction of the neighbors and the people who know him? Skeptical? Well, some, are, some ask, is this the same guy? And then he says, yes, I am. And some marvel at it. Uh, this is, again, where we remember the, the two purposes of miracles. First, 
to heal or to help somebody in need. Second, yeah, to show his power, to reveal his glory, and that the people are amazed. That shows us Jesus revealed his glory, shows who he truly is uh, by what he does. Uh, so this is... Uh, this is still a Sabbath day. Oh, you know what's coming. Uh, trouble. Some, some trouble. So, verse 13. Uh, they brought the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man told them. I washed and now I see. Then some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others were saying, How can a sinful man work such miraculous signs? Uh, we're something that we're going to see We've seen it already, but we're going to see this in the Gospel of John getting stronger and stronger. And that is the theme of uh, hardening the heart. Like the king of Egypt who sees ten plagues and sees uh, the Red Sea open up and sees the pillar of fire and all of that. And he still refuses to yield to God. Uh, here the Pharisees uh, hear about Jesus telling a paralyzed man to get up and walk and now a man blind from birth can see and they're at the point where they can see every possible miracle and it will not convince them. That's the, the connection to hardening the heart, just like the king of Egypt. So uh, there's ample evidence of the power of God at work, and they resisted anyway. Uh, so others were saying, how can a sinful man work such miraculous signs? There was division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind. And had received his sight until they summoned the parents of the man who had received his sight. They asked him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know that this is our son, his parents answered, and that he was born blind, but you, we do not know how he can see now or how, who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is old enough, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said he is old enough, ask him. Uh, 
So for a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. They told him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know if he is a sinner. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I already told you and you did not listen. Uh, why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Uh, that must have stuck in their ears. Uh, you know, why do you keep asking? Uh, you want to be his disciples too? Ooh, the very opposite. Uh, then they appeal to Moses. They ridiculed him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we do not know where he comes from. That's amazing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to anyone who worships God and does his will. From the beginning of time, no one has ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Uh, the blind man lays it out very clearly, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Uh, very sound. God doesn't listen to sinners. If this were a sinner, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Uh, and so, what's the response? Remember the, the logical fallacy ad hominem, the attack on the person? Uh, they answered him, you were entirely born in sinfulness, yet you presume to teach us, and they threw him out. Uh, here we can see they are kind of of that mind, you were born blind because of some sin. Here we see that coming out. And they threw him out. Uh, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. When he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of God? Some manuscripts say the Son of Man. Uh, who is he, sir? The man replied, that I may believe in him. Jesus answered, you have seen him, and he's the very one who is speaking with you. You've heard Jesus talk in this roundabout way before. Uh, when he was at the well with the woman of Samaria, and she says, I know that when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Uh, then he said, Lord, I believe. And he knelt down and worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked, We are not blind too, are we? 
Jesus told them, if you were blind, you would not hold on to sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Uh, this is kind of like back in John 3, Jesus talks about new birth with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has his own idea of what new birth would be. Uh, and then with the woman at Samaria, the well of Samaria, uh, he talks, Jesus talks about living water, and she has her own idea of what living water is. And Jesus uses that to keep the conversation going. And then that crowd of 5,000 that's looking for another free lunch, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry. They hang around until they figure out there's no free lunch coming yet. Uh, and now, uh, blindness and seeing. Uh, what's happening here at the end where uh, Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. What's he talking about there? Uh, physical sight and sight of faith. Yeah, physical sight, spiritual sight. Spiritual sight, yeah. And that uh, I think Isaiah is the one who says they have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Uh, they're so set on their own idea, like the hardness of heart. The, the truth can be set right in front of them, and they're going to miss it because they got, they're so set on themselves. And so set on um, what they want to believe about it. And so they reject Jesus, even though it should be obvious to them. Any more thoughts on John chapter 9 or the topic of suffering? Uh, in my notes that I'll give you on the way out, I do mention... Uh, there is a book, a very famous book, and also a very bad book that was written on the, the, the subject of suffering, and here it is. When bad things happen to good people. And uh, I have read some of them, uh, but the the title right away caught my eye because when bad things happen to good people, uh, I, I think I can understand where he's coming from with it, but, but biblically, we're all sinful. And biblically, God is gracious and none of us gets what we deserve. So when bad things happen, 
we are taught and scripture teaches uh, God can make all things work for his good. Uh, when bad things happen to good people, I thought there was a chapter that said you have to forgive God because he's not perfect either. Uh, and I was wrong. There is not a chapter with that title. Uh, there is a title. Uh... You know, God can't do everything, but he can do some important things. So he, he throws out the, the physical power of God, but is talking about the, the spiritual healing that we can have. Uh, but there are other people who have said, this is a bad book, uh, because... Basically, he says, bad things happen, deal with it. And when it talks, he talks about the power of God, he says, God is saddened by things that happen just as we are, but he's powerless to do anything about it. Instead, he'll help us through it. And so... He doesn't really come to any conclusion about why things happen. Uh, but anyway, I mentioned that in the notes, uh, along with a couple of review quotes. That as far as, is as far as I have prepared for tonight. But chapter 10 is a very familiar one. So we can, we can move forward with chapter 10. And this, uh, traditionally on one of the sub, uh, Sundays after Easter, we have uh, Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh, and so uh, in the course of the lectionary, we read sections from John chapter 10. Uh, the Good Shepherd should remind us all of and when Jesus uses the shepherd language, that would have reminded many of his hearers of what? David and his most famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures, quiet waters. All of that is here. And we can really see, here Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of Psalm 23. Uh, amen, amen, I tell you. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens the door for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, Jesus is talking about shepherds and sheep, but there's something else about this verse 
anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Oh, think of an application for that. Uh, is any false teacher going to walk in and say, Hi, I'm a false teacher and I'm here to take your money by telling you things you like to hear. No, he'll climb in the back way. Here, let me tell you about God's secret purpose for you. He wants you to be successful. Uh, God does want to bless. He doesn't always give success. He does always bless. Does the devil try to get over the fence? Yeah, all the time. Uh, maybe you've heard me say this. This is one of my stock illustrations, too. The devil never appears in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and says, Hi, I'm Satan, and I'm here to ruin your life. Instead, he does something attractive. Uh, or sets something in front of you that looks like it'll solve all your problems. Uh, yeah, this, uh, what's in this bottle? Will help take the edge off. Uh, what's in this uh, jar of pills? Will help take the edge off. And while some of these things can give temp temporary relief, it's not really a solution, but something that hooks us in even deeper. The devil never comes in directly, but like, sneaks over the side. Or tempts with something that's going to look good. Uh, the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens the door for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. That's going to come up again later. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, when he has brought out all his own sheep, he walks ahead of them. The sheep follow because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration in speaking to the people, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Um, I think we have done studies of church history, other churches, but I think generally in our Bible classes, in our preaching, we don't really cover a lot of that, do we? Uh, there's the old saying that in, in the Secret Service, they never study counterfeit bills. They only study the real thing. And then when a fake comes up, they can spot it right away because they know what the real thing looks like. Uh, to me, that sounds a lot like what Jesus is saying here. My sheep listen to my voice. 
They will not follow the voice of a stranger. Uh, so I'm going to ask the question, how do we get to know the shepherd's voice? Yeah, by continuing to hear his word. Yeah, to hear his word, to read his word. And then we know the shepherd's voice. And then when there's something that's not right, we know it right away. Because we've been listening to the real thing. So Jesus said again, Amen, amen, I tell you. I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Okay, we've got a metaphor here. Remember what a metaphor was? Well, shepherd is a metaphor too. Using earthly things to describe heavenly things? Yeah. Using earthly things to describe heavenly things. As a figure of speech, uh, well, there are two different uh, Two, especially two different figures of speech. And what we have here is called metaphor. And a lot like it is something called simile. That's not a wrong way to write smile. It's simile. Uh, Oh, maybe you had to learn this in English class or read it in English class. Robert Burns, my love is like a red, red rose. That's a simile. Uh, and in scripture, we don't see a lot of similes, but we see a lot of metaphors. Uh, our God is a rock. Is he really a big stone? No. Is he like a rock? Yes. How? A solid foundation, uh, something unchanging. Uh, and uh, King David could have said, the Lord is a lot like a shepherd. Because he did a lot of, did, does a lot of things for me that I used to do for the sheep when I was a teenager. Uh, but instead he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, it's a comparison. It really means the Lord is a lot like a shepherd. But when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, that, even, that strengthens that comparison even more by saying, God does exactly what a shepherd does for me. So Jesus says, I am the door. 
Does Jesus have a knob and hinges and, and, and a latch? No. But he's a door. How is he a door? If he doesn't have a knob and hinges. Okay. The door is something you walk through. A door is something that gives you access. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I will come in, go out, and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, and I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That brings to mind stories of King David, doesn't it? When he's about to kill Goliath, he talks about, uh, the Lord saved me from the paw of the lion and the, the, the claws of the bear, and he will save me from this philistine. David laid down his life for the sheep, uh, stood between them and the danger. The hired man who is not a shepherd does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Because he works for money, he does not care about the sheep. Um, this reminds me of that phrase that we've heard again and again. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. He's not going to run away from the danger because he has come to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, he's going to do it for the good of his people. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. You know anything about sheep? Yeah, uh, I once heard a preacher preaching on Psalm 23, and he said, you never see a sheep in a circus jumping through hoops, because they just can't be taught that way. Uh, they can be taught to follow. Uh, Sometimes it takes some work to get them to move on, uh, but they are not the most intelligent animal. Uh, I grew up with cows and heifers, and, and you've seen me do this before. <laughs> they, just, they just stare and they reach you their hay, and that's about it. Uh, and that 
sometimes when you're coming after the cows and you're trying to get them to come to you, they will get spooked and they'll walk run the other other direction. And that you have to kind of gently sneak around them, get behind them, and then you spook them in the right direction. Uh, that they're not easily trained that way. Um, the thing about, and another comparison, another tie with the 23rd Psalm, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. One thing I heard or read long ago was that sheep will just chew the grass down to the dirt and then they will just stand there and starve if somebody doesn't move them on. So the thing, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me on, leads me on to the next pasture. Uh, the, the metaphor of the shepherd is really one of care, uh, not, and it's not just uh, owning sheep, but watching out for them, defending them, because uh, wolves, bears, other wild animals, thieves, Thieves uh, break in and steal, he says here. And so I am the good shepherd. Uh, and he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's thinking five or six months ahead, isn't he? Uh, that is always on his mind, and it will be on his lips more as we go forward through John chapter 10 and beyond. Okay, well let's pick it up there for next time. I thought we were going to have a little more discussion on the, the topic of suffering. You got a question. thought of being Jesus is talking to Jewish people and he says I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them in also uh, remember uh, back when we were talking about Jesus cleansing the temple uh, for you that was back in probably January or February for me that was maybe four weeks ago and I redid it for the video. Uh, God's Old Testament uh, outreach plan was Israel you stay and you be my people and you stay here. Uh, and you, Israel was really at a crossroads. If you were going from Turkey to Egypt where, did you have to, where would you have to go through? Palestine. 
you'd have to go through Palestine, and you'd have to go through here on the other side of the Jordan, that's all desert. So it would take you right past Jerusalem. Uh, so if you're going from Turkey to Egypt, if you're going from Egypt to Babylon, where do you have to go? Or Persia, or same way. Yeah, or any any place. Israel was really at a crossroads. So God's Old Testament outreach plan was: you stay there at that crossroads and be my people, and then people will come to you. God's New Testament outreach plan is go into go all the world. Go into all the world. So usually we think of this as Jesus is using a roundabout way of saying, I have other sheep that are not from Israel. And the New Testament outreach plan is about to begin. Uh, other sheep that are not of this world. But we'll look at that a little bit more next week. We'll, we'll uh, start at the beginning of the chapter and uh, take the whole chapter 10 next time. All right, well, let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for teaching us. Teaching us about suffering that we don't have to worry about karma. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that suffering exists in our world and that you let the works of God show through them in our lives. So we pray that you would do your work in us. Teach us, lead us, keep us humble, but also keep us looking to you as the source of every good and perfect gift. Lead us on, Good Shepherd. Amen.